wanna be a starving artist. I don't wanna be a starving artist. I just want to find a way to live. I'm Anna Eastley. You are listening to Starving Artist. This is a show about art. It's about money. It's about how we are going to do those things together. It's also basically an excuse for me to invite creatives I admire to tell me all their financial secrets and then share them with you. This week I'm talking to Wendy Seifert. Wendy is the editor of ID, which is part of Vice, and she's basically the most badass boss I know. She's a nuanced, emotionally intelligent hustler, but, you know, she wasn't always this way. A few years ago, she went through the process of asking for a raise, a a big one, And in this interview, she shares her experience of the art of the negotiation. But we also talk about the non-monetary value of jobs, how difficult it is to find out how much you're worth, and how much all of this stuff matters when you go back to your 10-year high school reunion. One note I want to make just before we start is that when we're talking about money, we are talking Australian dollars and Australian context, just FYI. First of all, thank you for being willing to speak with me. I really appreciate it, particularly on this topic, because I think it's something that's quite difficult to get information about. And I really appreciate how open you are about it. Well, thanks for having me. This is kind of a pet topic of mine, and it is really hard to talk about. I think that's kind of what we're going to talk about. (laughs) So um, it's cool that you're kind of doing a project that's you know, just addressing that. Yeah. Well, I, I think I was just like, uh, I don't know the answers to these questions. How do I make a project so I can ask them mm. <laughs> and then hopefully share those things? Well, I think the thing with a lot of the stuff is I was thinking about this today when I was kind of wondering what we would talk about. I think a lot of them don't really have answers, which is why it's kind of more about just putting yourself in a position where you know that everyone around you is kind of on your side. You know, a number of people have said that in terms of finding a really good community of people that you can draw upon to ask these questions. So I'm curious, I wanted you to first explain what wage transparency is, what that means to you. I think it's a concept that not everyone will know about. Yeah, it's a pretty, I think it's still considered pretty fringe. And even when I talk about it, I think sometimes people think that I'm like, every workplace should have a big scrolling light up LED board that says how much everyone earns. It's kind of this idea that there is a lot of bullshit around how much people get paid and how much people, probably how effectively people work to their pay. So it's this idea in a perfect world that if you're in an office and everybody knows exactly how much everyone gets paid, firstly, it means everyone's going to get paid the right amount because you can't have bullshit around this man gets paid more, this older person gets paid more, this older person gets paid less, if it's so upfront. But also the other side of it that I think is really interesting is, you know, Honor, if you and I are in a workplace and I get paid $15,000 more than you, I'm not going to be bunking off of, you know, 4.30 every day. I'm not going to be letting you take the bulk of the work. I think it means that people also work as hard as they should and as hard as they get paid as well. They'll be working as hard as they should as well as as hard as they shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. I know even when I was kind of studying at and wasn't getting paid very well, you kind of have this expectation that you get told that you should just work as hard as you can and then you'll get rewarded. 
Whereas, you know, if you know that you're getting considerably less than everyone else, I think you can kind of make sure that you take care of yourself and you treat yourself appropriately at work. You know, you shouldn't be sweating blood if you're making $35,000 a year. I mean, you should work hard and you should enjoy your job, but people who have really stressful jobs and get paid $150,000 a year have different allowances and they can have different lifestyle choices. Like, for instance, they could pay someone to clean the house. 100%, or they could go on holiday. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So you work managing people. Yeah, a little bit. I have, I'm an editor at a media company. So I kind of work with staff writers and then I also manage contributors. So there is a lot of, I mean, I'm one-on-one with contributors talking about how much people get paid, how much they should get paid, how much they think they should get paid, how much I think they should get paid. But there's also a level of working with kind of younger staff members as well and trying to help them understand what their worth is, but also be kind of realistic about what they need to ask for and expect at work. And you said that these issues around valuing yourself, how much you're worth, figuring out how much you're worth, how hard you should be working, which I think in my mind, it's totally unregulated in a lot of ways. People have no idea, particularly in the arts, how hard they should be working how much they should be working and how much they should be expecting to get paid. I'm curious about when this started to become your pet subject. I mean, I guess for me, I started as like an absolute base level junior. So wasn't getting paid very much. But to be honest, I don't think I should have been getting paid that much in terms of like how much training I was getting, how much I was bringing to the team. And again, how hard I was working. I was kind of in a situation that I think a lot of people are in where my job changed and I changed and it all kind of happened very slowly over a long period of time. And then suddenly I was in a position where it kind of started becoming apparent that I probably, not that I wasn't getting paid enough, but I think that the person I was when I took the job was very different to the person that was coming to work every day. How long had you been at that place of work for? I'd been there a couple of years, but it's kind of, it's not like just being like I was working there nine to five for a few years. I was very classic arts job. I started as an intern, then I went part-time, did stuff, freelance, and then slowly became full-time, slowly became kind of like, I suppose, a team leader. Yeah, yeah. But you'd been involved with the company for... Uh, well, I've been there for five years now. So when this was all happening, probably about three years, Yeah, you know, I'd been in mind. So I kind of started thinking about, I wanted to ask for a raise and I was really, really scared about that because I think like a lot of people, I didn't like talking about money. I was, I'm a pretty shy person just by nature. And the idea of like sitting down with the boss and having a meeting about money was actually like, I couldn't sleep over it. Like I wanted to throw up and stuff. So what I did was I wanted to go in there and say, you know, okay, I think I'm, I'm worth X amount. But I also knew that if I didn't have numbers in mind, I was going to get whitewashed. And that's not a reflection on the boss. Like, he's a very lovely guy. But if I didn't know what I wanted, then I couldn't really expect someone to come and negotiate with me. Yeah, of course. So what I did was I set out to try and work out. Literally, I Googled how much should an editor get paid? How much should a writer get paid? How helpful were the Google results? Oh, well, this is kind of where it all started. There was just nothing. And either it was really depressing and people just getting paid nothing or it was kind of really unrealistic and people saying, oh, you know, you should be on like $80,000 a year. And I'm like, I don't know what decade you're taking this information from. So I just kind of had to create my own resource. And that's when I just forced myself to start asking people about money 
and asking people who I knew did similar work to me or had similar skill sets to me how much they got paid. So how did you go about doing that? Did you ask people that you know out for coffee? I did my close friends who I, you know, saw all the time. I just straight up asked. And I was kind of surprised by how confronting it was to talk about. But also once we started talking about how much stuff just came out, like you immediately saw disparities between men and women, between age, between kind of different perceptions Mm. of work. But also at the same time, it wasn't as cut and dry as I thought it would be. It's not like, oh, the guys are getting paid more and they were so like stoked about it. The guys were often getting paid more, but they were horrified by it. There's no like boogeyman that's sitting around deciding that, you know, this is where the glass ceiling's going to sit. I think it was just no one talked about it. So no one realized if they were privileged or if they weren't privileged or if they were being taken advantage of or if they were kind of maybe getting more than they deserved. Um, so that was the first round. But I mean, I, I'm friends with a lot of writers and editors and stuff, but I needed a bigger circle. So I honestly just wrote a bunch of really polite emails to acquaintances. And I just explained to them, I just said, I'm trying to make sure that I'm in the best position. I'm trying to make sure that going forward for the next year or so at work, I'm in a position that I can feel comfortable and happy in. And also I just kind of floated with people as well. Like, you know, it's probably good for us to talk about this stuff because it's also an opportunity for them to kind of measure how they were doing. And a lot of people came back to me afterwards and said, you know, what did everyone else say? Can you give me an indication? Where do I sit on it? Oh, wow. So you became the keeper of the knowledge. Well, I mean, in a very, very, very loose sense, I think my email chains became the resource that I couldn't find. And I mean, there weren't too many surprises the biggest surprise is probably more that people weren't getting paid as much as we should be again I don't want to make this seem like someone's a villain it was just more people hadn't asked for a raise in three years people had upskilled without realizing people's roles had changed without realizing and I think a lot of workplaces reward people with promotions through job titles and responsibilities without correcting that through pay Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that happens once or twice and it's fine. But that happens, you know, a few times and suddenly you've gone up into a completely different role and you're getting paid for a junior position. You probably found out a lot of information about different types of roles. But what did you find out in terms of the kind of role that you were in at the time, which was an editor but also a team leader and how much you were getting paid, how much you should be getting paid? I was a pretty classic position. I was getting paid a very acceptable entry-level job and I think it was also a lot of me because I knew I was getting paid this much and I'd started in a certain way I saw myself that way as well so I saw myself as like an entry-level person but then when I started talking to other people about their jobs what they get paid what their responsibilities are I think I got a lot of clarity about how much I was worth as well and that's also another thing that I would say if you are in a position and you think you want to ask for a raise or you want to take a closer look at your role For about two weeks, every time I did anything at work, I just had a text document open on my desktop and I just wrote it down. As in to keep track of the different types of things you would be required to do in your job? To look at my responsibilities, but also my skills. As in if you were going to reverse engineer your position description, that's how you did it? Because pretty much what I told myself was if I decided to leave, not that I wanted to because I loved my job, but let's say I did, what would it take to replace me and how much would that person get paid? 
Oh, that is such a great way of looking at it. And then when that's when I kind of started looking at it and I was like, I'm not a junior anymore. I'm a mid-level employee. And then once I kind of went to my boss and I had firstly this very comprehensive list, but I also was a bit of a confidence boost about how much I was worth. I felt a lot more comfortable talking about it. And also like I remember chatting to my boss about it and he kind of said, you know, we respect you, we value you, but no one sees this stuff. No one sees that you've developed a in-depth instinct for analytics. They just see that your desk isn't on fire. Yeah, totally. And that happens in all kinds of workplaces where we don't realise and recognise the work that people do. Well, I mean, it's one of those kind of annoying things in life that good workers are invisible. Oh, because nothing's going wrong. Nothing's going wrong. (laughs) So I think a lot of this stuff is about making yourself visible as well. So pretty much the biggest thing I kind of came out of it with was a better understanding of my job. But from a practical point of view, it was the first time I'd ever had a scale about what an entry-level position was or what a mid-level position was and what maybe an upper-level position was. So it let me, you know, decide in a perfect world realistically what I think I should be on. And it also meant that when I went and I talked to my boss, I could also give him a lot more information about, you know, where I existed. And also, to be honest, where the company kind of sat in terms of how we treated our employees. And in that sense, it was a lot of the stuff I found out was actually positive and it made me feel a lot better about my job and it made me feel a lot better about my employers. So it made it a lot easier to go to work on like Monday or Tuesday when you've kind of done an audit of your place in the world and you realize you're actually okay. Oh yeah, that sounds that sounds way better. Yeah, because <laughs> I think it like when you're there and you're slogging away and you're trying to pay rent and wondering why coffees are so expensive, it's really easy to think that you're having a shit time. Whereas when you really take stock of it, I mean, most people who are listening to, you know, podcasts about fiscal responsibility in the arts are actually probably in an okay place not all of them but I know with me I think there was a lot of privilege within myself that I kind of had let myself ignore because I was so just sooky about I don't know being my mid-20s I'm curious what kind of what kind of privileged do you mean I think what I thought was not getting paid very much was you know I mean I was I wasn't on you know, 100 grand a year or anything. But when I really started looking at other jobs I could have and the way other people were kind of paid and the way other people were taken advantage of, I was doing better than I thought. And that also, like, again, feel like a mental health at work was good. It made me feel more appreciated as well. And I think that's something that really comes into it, which you touched on. So in the world, currently, people are valued a lot through how much they get paid. Mm. And if you're in a situation where you feel like you are not being valued through money I think that that has a really negative impact on how you view yourself and your life in its entirety oh 100 percent and I mean all this I did end up getting a raise and again I'm not on a crazy amount of money or anything like I'm a very regular arts budget kind of lifestyle but it completely changed the way I saw my job it really changed the way I saw my bosses and it made me feel I don't think I realised that there were elements of my job that I probably did feel a bit resentful about. You know, if you have to work an extra 40 minutes, but you feel like you're being seen and recognised, you don't really care. But if you are working an extra 40 minutes and you have this kind of seed of doubt over how your job treats you or sees you, those little annoyances can kind of fester pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel comfortable talking about like actual figures in terms of like what is an, what is an entry level salary like? An entry-level salary, I think, in media is – I always thought, like, 40 was pretty good. But funny, I've been doing 
a few panels and things like that with other editors lately. And this is what I mean again. A lot of them were just like, no, 30. So in that moment, I was like, oh, actually, maybe journalism is actually a hell of a lot better than like book editing. I think that, you know, 40 is pretty good entry level. If you're kind of working as an editor, maybe you're moving to the 50s. I don't know anyone who is making really more than like 70, I think. Do you mean as an editor, as a mid kind of editor? Yeah, it's kind of like a, a mid-level editor that's kind of managing people and stuff. I wouldn't really want to speak to it with more authority than that because I don't know what things like in newspapers are like. I don't yeah. know what stuff in, you know, monthly prints are like. You only know what you know. I only know what I know. Also, I think a lot of the stuff is around context as well. Like, I think people get quite fixated on numbers. You know, they think like, this person gets paid $7,000 more than me. But there are a lot of, I mean, this sounds like someone from a job fair, but you do have a lot of other benefits. Like my work does a lot of, a lot of training is available to us. I get to travel quite a bit. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you get to, yeah. <laughs> every time I see you on Facebook, you're somewhere new. I know, like I haven't bought a concert ticket in like three years. Like it's made me very spoiled in other ways. And you do have to kind of like balance that out. Yeah. And even things like everyone I work with, I would consider one of my best friends. You get to make content that you think is interesting. I remember when I was starting out, there was a job at like the Victorian police, like newsletter. And it was like the sweetest job. I don't remember how much it was I would get paid, but it was something really ridiculous. But I mean, in that job, as we said before, you've got to kind of balance that with the fact that you're writing a cops circular and you're probably not getting rewarded in any way other than the cash. <laughs> I have a friend who actually does my, um, media comms for the Victorian police. <laughs> well, I hope that it was better for them than I assumed it would be. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But it, I think you make a really good point about that there's other ways of being rewarded that aren't financial. 100%. And I mean, in my family, my family's pretty academic and my siblings have all done really well. And we kind of sit around, you know, once a week when we all get together and chat about our days. And then I'm almost almost self-conscious of the kind of stuff I get to talk about at work because I feel like I'm being like braggy because we get to do all this really fun stuff that I can speak really passionately about. Whereas my brother, who, you know, is a doctor and earns a lot more money than me, probably just feels stressed and freaked out at work all the time. Yeah, I think you make a really good point that obviously it's not all about the money. I mean, anyone who's getting into the arts knows that. But that in terms of the actual quality of life, Mm. that's a really major thing to consider. Yeah, like, I mean, if you can pay for, obviously, like, food and shelter and stuff, everyone wants to have savings and all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, in our mid to late 20s, realistically, from an arts perspective... I think you also have to really think about if you feel valued, if you feel fulfilled. I don't think that many people got into the arts to be driving Lexis, but you maybe got into the arts because you feel like you have an opinion you want to share or you have a cause you want to champion. On the subject of your family, we've spoken about this topic previously and you mentioned that there was a moment where you realised that you didn't know how much people in your family earned. Yeah, I remember we were talking about... One of my family members, this was a while ago, and, you know, there was this kind of conversation about they didn't earn much money. And I, again, for me, like, thinking what's not much money, I was like, I don't know, like, 35 grand a year? Like, that seems like something that when my friends spoke about struggling, that's what they spoke about. And then it kind of came out when, again, I started talking about money and how much people earned. And, I mean, I don't remember how much it was now, but it was, like, a massive amount of money to me. It was, you know double my salary so it must have been I don't know like 70 or 80 thousand dollars a year and it just like clicked to me that firstly there is no money in publishing just joking 
but I mean, it made me realize that people live in very different worlds to me. But also, again, the way you use your money and the way you assign value was so different. I mean, if I looked in a crystal ball to when I was 50 years old and was on that money, I would be like, I've made it. I'm a bourgeois middle-class woman. But not that it wasn't enough for them, but that was, they were seeing that in a completely different way, which I mean, shows context. In terms of having those conversations with your family and friends, you mentioned that this subject has got a lot of emotions attached to it. It's very emotionally loaded. It's not something people feel really comfortable talking about, even with their friends. What did you find helpful in terms of approaching those conversations? I think the thing with money, I was actually thinking about this today. When you talk to someone about pay, you're not just talking about, you know, how much money you have in your bank every second Thursday of the month or whatever. It's so imbued with assumptions around class and worth and intelligence. But I also think that that stuff is really internalized. When you hear someone earns less money than you, you don't think like you're stupid or you're obviously crap at your job or you're less worthy than me. It's just a number. But I think it's, as I said, it's this kind of this kernel that we carry around with ourselves that people are judging us. Whereas I think that if you within yourself can just recognize that that's bullshit and it's just a number, when you start chatting to someone, firstly, it will be less stressful for you. But I think also when the other person understands that, you know, it's just business, it becomes a lot easier to talk about. Like I have friends who earn a lot more money than me. I've got friends who earn a lot less money than me. That is really only reflective of who said yes to our resume five years ago. But I think the other thing that is really important as well, firstly, it's like talking about sex. Some people find sex so easy to talk about. Some people don't. If you find someone who likes chatting about it with you, that's amazing. Have an awesome time. But if you're ever talking to someone about something and they're not comfortable about it and you're pressing them, you're kind of being a bully. So I think it's really, really important to be sensitive to what other people find is okay to talk about because we all come from really different cultural or like social or economic backgrounds and money is incredibly loaded and something to you that you might think is just a passing conversation could actually be incredibly triggering for someone else. Oh yeah, I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So I mean, maybe that's a lesson. Approach it like you would talk about sex, you know. Oh, that's so great. That's such a great piece of advice. Yeah. And in terms of approaching acquaintances, so people that aren't close friends, what did you learn about how to reach out to those people? I always say this to the point that I feel like it's becoming passe, but my favorite saying is that candor is the enemy of anxiety. So I was just really upfront in these emails. I was just like, hello, this is what I'm trying to work out. This is why I'm trying to work it out. Straight up, right from the beginning, if you don't want to be part of this, no judgment. But also something that I continue to stress is that none of those numbers went past me. Like even when I talk to people about money now, I don't say like Jenny from broadsheet weekly I tried to make up a name and then I realized it was just the name of a very popular publication you know I would never ever say what someone else got paid I would never say Mm. what another publication paid again it's like speaking about someone's family or someone's sexual history it's not your information to share you can carry it and let it inform your decisions and let it help you make good decisions and give good advice but these aren't your stories to you know disseminate over Melbourne oh yeah totally The other thing that I wanted to ask about was the actual conversation itself, the actual conversation that you had with your employer. This is what's so funny. So we've been talking about this for how long. I researched this for how long, lost so much sleep over it, felt so sick over it. The conversation was a fucking breeze. We sat down. I had this whole spiel I was like about to give. I probably got like two seconds into it. My boss was just like, yep, I get it. You're great. This is great. Good research. 
how about this for a number? It was pretty much exactly what I wanted. I said, yes, it was over in like two seconds. And that's another thing, you know, everything is worse in your head. Like nothing is as scary as what you can freak yourself out over at two in the morning. I know Stephen King used to say that he like used to write scary stories because it was like when he was a kid and he was frightened of everything, if he thought of the worst thing ever, it kind of made everything else seem easy. You know, it's like typical cognitive behavior or whatever. Money is scary because we have been taught to think that it's scary and awkward and gross and confusing. But I mean, these are just the facts of life and your boss knows that. And also they want you to be happy. And also if you can go into a meeting or into a situation and have researched something show that you know your worth, demonstrate that you understand your role and your job, that's really impressive. And actually, after I had that conversation, I feel like it was a lot easier to talk to my superiors about other stuff as well. And I remember even saying to my boss afterwards, I'd always had this thing in my head at work that I was a bit of like the kid, and I didn't feel like that afterwards. I felt far more recognised and appreciated and seen. Do you think that your work improved? Yeah, I think it did 100%. I think it also, I took a lot more pride in my work as well. I'm curious, did you bring this up as a like performance review conversation or were you like, I, like I'm like, I don't even know how I would begin to have that conversation. You know, actually, it was a good example of practicing what you preached. I had a, another person I worked with who had a very similar job to me. And one night, I think we just started talking about money. We get shit faced together a lot and it obviously came up. And just from talking to them about it and us being able to actually unpack our jobs and kind of compare and contrast Firstly, you know, strength in numbers. I felt a lot more confident to speak up and say something after having had an open conversation with someone at work about money and what I wanted and also being able to really openly speak to someone I trusted but also understood my job about what I wanted out of life. And then the hardest part of this whole thing was I was emailing my boss and I just said, I mean, I don't even remember what I said because it was years ago now, but it was effectively, I've been here for X amount of time. I feel like I've shown a lot of progression I would like to have it talk about my contract and my pay to make sure that, you know, I'm kind of getting paid in a level that's in line with what I'm bringing to work every day. And again, people who run big companies understand emails like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of their job description yeah. is to be able to respond to emails like that. Exactly. I mean, people who run companies, money talk is like breathing to them. I mean, it's probably easy for a lot of people's bosses who are going to eventually hear this to talk about money than it would be to talk about what you did on the weekend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so can I ask, how, how much of a raise did you get? I got a big raise. I was actually thinking about today whether I would go into specifics, and the only reason why I wouldn't, because, again, I feel like it is quite a – it's not necessarily a personal thing, but I think it's a specific thing to different situations. So I don't want to put a number out there and then make anyone feel bad about their job or I don't want to throw anyone off, but I got a big raise – it's not all about money as well. My job was reassessed and a lot of stuff I didn't like my job was taken off my hands. And you know, when you talk about money, you talk about a lot of other stuff. I started talking about what I wanted my future in the company to be. It was an opportunity to express the things I liked and I didn't like. I think it was an opportunity to demonstrate to my boss how serious I was and how much I genuinely loved it. And you know, within a year later, I also got a massive promotion. I think that when you start talking about money, you start talking about a lot of other good stuff as well. Oh man. It's amazing how much that conversation about the dollars actually opens up a conversation about a whole bunch of other stuff, like how serious are you about your work? How much do you feel valued in what you do? Oh, 100%. I remember in that conversation, I mean, I, I really like my boss. He's a really lovely guy. But, you know, he's not someone that I'm 
having margaritas with every Saturday night and talking about my life plans. But suddenly I started finding myself being like, maybe I want to have a baby one day. Maybe I want to buy an apartment and I want this company to be part of my future. And I want this job to be part of my future. And when you go from talking about dollars and cents to suddenly talking about your life plan and how all these people are going to fit into it. And I think also when people see, you know, they see life from your perspective, they're a lot more understanding. Because as I said, until that point, I was just someone sitting at a desk doing a good job. That's really interesting because what you said just then is exactly why I think this conversation about money is really emotionally loaded, particularly for me anyway, as I get a bit older, because I have a group of friends who are in a bunch of different kinds of industries and being like, oh, these guys have X amount of dollars. They're looking at buying houses. And then just realizing the money question and how much you earn is cumulative, puts you in a different social class. That means you're available to be in certain social circles and not in others. I think that's why it can be really emotionally loaded because it's about really tangible opportunities. Yeah, and that's why you need to take control of it because, again, with me, I mean, stuff's sweet with me. Like, I'm very happy. But I have chosen a career that means I will make X amount of money in my life. And as you said, it means that some opportunities are open to me and some aren't. That's going to be the reality for anyone. But you need to feel in control of that choice because you don't want to be in a situation where you feel like something's been taken away from you or you've been robbed or you haven't been given an opportunity. Because, I mean, the second you don't feel in control, that's when you kind of open up a whole other can of worms of the emotional implications of money and wealth and class. Which is terrifying. I don't know. I find that terrifying. I find it terrifying too. Particularly when I look at the close people around me and being like, oh, we're going in different directions. It can be scary. But I mean, at the same time, I had my 10-year high school reunion last year, which is, you know, obviously a pretty cut and dry watermark for how you're doing. (laughs) And I mean, there were these girls that you in many ways have the exact same fingerprint in life for a very similar fingerprint starting out and they were buying houses some of them were buying second houses some of them were having crazy destination weddings some of them were driving new cars that they didn't buy off their parents I mean I love them all and they were beautiful and they're all doing great stuff but when we were sitting around that table after the union drinking wine at a local bar or whatever I was very aware that I was so glad that I had my life and not theirs that I didn't have to drive my 2004 Subaru home to Clayton again there's nothing wrong with that I'm sure they felt super sad that I'd catch the train back to Fitzroy but what I was not making up fiscally in some ways I was being incredibly rewarded for emotionally or creatively in other ways to finish I'm wondering whether you have any specific advice or resources for people who are in that position where they're unsure about what they should be getting whether what they're getting is right and I suppose people who want to avoid that situation that you're talking about, where they they get to a point where they feel like something has been taken away from them. I think you need to look around you, look at peers, look at people who maybe you don't directly know, but you know are in a similar position to you. Be pretty stringent and mark out people that you do feel like are on your level and be realistic about it because it's not going to serve you well if you're putting yourself in a category you're not in. And then it is literally as simple as either buying people a coffee, writing a very polite email explaining to them that you are in a position where you're trying to maybe go for a raise or trying to work out if you want to make a move professionally and you're trying to create a guide for yourself within your environment of how much you should get paid maybe they'll tell you how much they get paid if they do don't ever tell anyone else 
and say thank you a million times and pay for their coffee. If they don't want to tell you, that's absolutely fine as well. You should probably still pay for their coffee. It was nice of them to come out. <laughs> um, I wish I could say that there was some resource that I could point you to. There are websites where you can kind of do things like put in how long you've been in a workforce, what your education level is. I personally haven't had much luck with them. They might be different in different areas. But the other thing as well I found was a lot of the information I got that was official felt wrong or the reality of it was there were so many different influences that it didn't really feel like it was reflective. As I said, maybe I get paid less than someone else, but maybe my job satisfaction is much more. Maybe my job flexibility is much more. Maybe I get paid a lot more than someone else, but the pressure is a lot more or I deal with more stress in my everyday life. So your best resources are your peers. I think you make a really good point about that. And I think that's why it can be really helpful to have a network. I actually think that everyone in every interview almost that I've done, people have said community. Mm. Yeah, oh, it's all about that. Also, the other thing is if you're having this conversation with someone, you're not sitting there and they're just lecturing you. Like you're giving them something too. I hope that everyone I had one of those coffees with walked away with a better sense of their position in the world, their job, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. And even if they didn't, at least they had this extra professional connection, this extra relationship that had been formed by trying to talk about this. Great. Thanks very much, Wendy. Thank you for having me, Anna. I think that you have a lot of wisdom in you. Well, I do my best. (laughs) I always just think everyone should talk to everyone about everything. (laughs) That's kind of my motto too. Yeah. It does more good than it does bad. I also read your good good girl interview with penny which i thought was kick-ass in terms of that i did that interview before i think i actively started on this path in terms of really taking control of my own life but that a hundred percent revolutionized the way i saw my job talking to penny yeah i'm sure most people who listen to this will work in the arts i mean we're kind of getting on another subject here but i think it's really important that you recognize that your job is a skill and it's a trade And just because it's creative or it's ephemeral or it has, you know, some other touchy-feely connotation that the world thinks of it, it's not worth any less. My partner, Ben, often talks about when he's trying to work out money or work stuff, he says, you know, it's not always what you're getting paid for doing. It's also what that time is worth and what you're getting paid for not doing. Yes. So you've also, whenever you're doing any job, you've got to keep in mind that, like, how much could you be paid if you were doing another job? I think it's good to be clinical with your time like that. Pretend you're a lawyer. Charge in six-minute increments. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'll send you an invoice to this after. <laughs> okay, Nick. We'll leave it there. Great. I love that that interview about negotiating a raise ended up being more about how to appreciate and value yourself and have more honest conversations in your workplace. That's what I kind of like about this topic because I think when we talk about money, because it's so hard to talk about, it very quickly becomes about much bigger things of like how do we have difficult conversations and how do we be more vulnerable and how do we see our worth. If you have some thoughts on this episode, you can find Starving Artist on all the social medias and you can also leave us a review on iTunes. This podcast was made possible by everyone who supports me on Patreon. It means that I can do stuff like this. You can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Easley.
This episode was edited by Lance Turnbull and Peter C. Hayward. Next week, we're going to actually be talking with Peter C. Hayward. Peter is the king of Kickstarter. Last year, he ran two Kickstarters, the first of which made $87,000 and was his first Kickstarter of all time, the second of which made $89,000. I got him in to tell us how in the world he did that, and I wanted to play a tiny, tiny section of it just so that you'd get an idea of what it was going to be like. Running a Kickstarter is like doing an exam, and at the end you get a mark, but they don't tell you what it's out of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I'm, I'm running a Kickstarter right now, and it's just hit $23,000. And I'm like, how, like would it, if I'd made different decisions, would it have done better? Would it have done worse? Yeah, it's, it's like finishing an exam, they're like, hey, great, you got 230 <laughs> And you're like, out, out, of, out of what, though? Like... You just have nothing to compare it to, and you don't know if you could have done better or worse. It is, it is a very weird experience. If you want to check out Peter's current Kickstarter, it is up right now at theladyandthetiger.com. And I think that it's actually going to be ended by the time that his episode comes out. So I just wanted to make a note of it here in case you were keen to see the man at work doing what he does best. Thanks for listening. Love and that feeling when you're working on a creative project and it's late at night and you're only just finishing it and you were really, really stressed and maybe crying (laughs) about half an hour ago. I'm not talking about anyone in particular. Maybe me. And then all of a sudden it's just really calm and quiet and still and you do your thing. And your thing is good. Till next time. Bye.